Welcome to the CFO Playbook, where we bring you insights and strategies on how the many obstacles facing the heads of finance functions internationally are being tackled. I'm your host, Franco Bartnost, the UK content lead at Soldo. And with every episode, we help you grow your team, your company, and of course, yourself. Every job I've had before I entered the finance world, I worked with my hands. That's how Justin Lackey describes his blue-collar background, ranching, cabinet making, he even spent some time working in a mill. Many CFOs aim to be more hands-on or aspire to be. For Justin, it comes quite naturally. He's the CFO and CRO, that's the Chief Revenue Officer of Asset Panda, a cloud-based asset management and tracking platform based in Dallas, Texas. Lackey, a hirsute Texan with an easy manner, spoke to us about his unique dual role, dual role at Asset Panda and its advantages and perhaps its disadvantages. There's a risk of trying to boil the ocean, as he himself puts it. We also talk about tech stacks, risk modeling in the aftermath of the pandemic, and how more non-traditional functions are leaking into the finance function. Finance, as he says himself, is getting more fun, and that's good news for the rest of us. So let's get into it. Enjoy, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whichever medium you use. Until next time. I'd like to say welcome to our guest on the CFO Playbook podcast this week, Justin Lackey from Acid Panda. Justin, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be here. This is a bit of a you know, a non-traditional start to my day. So it's nice to to throw something new into the mix. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Justin. We're Speaking of non-traditional, that's something we're going to be delving in a little bit because um, I actually understand that you've had a bit of a non-traditional route into your position. So firstly, tell us precisely sort of like what your role is at Acid Panda. And then if you could give us a little bit of a background into how you how you got here. So I'm, again, the CFO and CRO, so a couple different hats, which is not, it's not too non-typical for, for an organization our size. And the path here, I think, gets, it gets weirder the earlier back you go, right? So I, I don't know how, <laughs> how far we, we want to dive back. Let's get weird. Okay, right, we can do it. So even my traditional upbringing, so I grew up on a ranch, um, very blue collar, very manual labor, right? Every job that I had prior to entering the finance world was with my hands, right? So I had the opportunity to work in cabinet shops, feed mills, um, you know, various places like that. And then all of a sudden, I think I accumulated a lot of those life lessons of maybe not necessarily what I want to do, right? Which is, I think, just as valuable as learning what you do want to do knew I loved building things, right? So I, I initially wanted to be an engineer. So I have a, a pretty heavy data background as well, which I think is starting to creep its way into the finance world, especially pretty heavily over the past couple of years. And, you know, kind of traded that blue collar work for a keyboard, right, at, at some point. And I've had the opportunity throughout my career to spend, you know, half of it in a fairly traditional finance setting, both in the public and the private space, which we can we can dive into the perks and the the non perks of both of those in a little bit. And then, prior to to becoming a CFO, I spent that kind of second part of my career in the revenue operations space, which is a, a fairly new 
you know, fairly new wave of, of team within organizations and specifically SaaS, right? So the, the majority of my career has been in SaaS as well, but revenue operations was, was great because it really gives you that kind of holistic approach to all of your, your revenue generating teams, right? And how do you break down the silos and create synergies, efficiencies, effectiveness within those groups. So, um, and, and that's part of the reason why I get to wear the CRO hat as well, right? Is that, that background and that space of, of being boots on the ground with the sales folks and, and the marketing folks and, and customer success. So odd path here, right? I, I wouldn't change a single bit of it, right? Both of those, those lessons of what I don't want to do and do want to do super important, but probably going to, going to stick in the finance space for, for the remainder of my career and not, not make a transition back. My, my hands are a little soft now to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, your cowboy days are are officially over now. I'd say, is it? They are. Yes, absolutely. So it's actually interesting. I mean, we talk about you know the history of people that often work in the role that you work in. You know, these are people that really would you know not tend to come from like ranching families or have any sort of exposure to blue collar work. Is there anything you think that you you kind of took from those days doing that kind of work that you still apply now? Is there like a mentality uh, or anything like that you still keep? So I think being very hands-on, right, is, is one of the, the key pieces of that. Of, and I think that's what, what part of what makes a great CFO as well is the willingness to get into the weeds of things, right? It, it all boils down to informed decisions, right? And in my opinion, I'm I'm able to make a better informed decision if I've had a key piece in playing that specific role, right? That we're evaluating. So um, that hands-on experience, that that roll up your sleeves, get it done mentality, I think is super super crucial, super beneficial, especially in the private space. Private, you know, things tend to move much quicker, right? Quicker deadlines, a little more extraneous, a little more off the cuff. Um, kind of pivot as you go, if you will. In a very odd way, it translates really well into the space that I'm in today, which is an un, I think an unforeseeable marriage, right? That would have happened, but here we are. Yeah, no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Like I've ended up in the finance space sort of as a, as a writer or as a journalist myself and my, my background's in history. I can't claim to have worked on a ranch, but yeah, I definitely didn't see myself uh, talking with CFOs on a podcast about uh, the different ways to uh, to manage the finance function in a in a growing business. So, yeah, we each of us in our own way we get we get to different places. I think that's a really good point because I think the the finance function, it's fair to say, is becoming more fun um, than it maybe had a, a traditional meaning to. Right? Of, of typically, if you think of old finance, you think of FP&A. Right. You know, kind of cut and dry, very heavy. It is what it is type of work. But I, I read a really interesting study from McKinsey. They published it, I think, a year or two back. And it was in the, the format of a podcast, but they were discussing the evolution of the role today in the finance space today as well and, and how they're finding more and more folks reporting up into the CFO than traditionally you would have seen. Right. And so I, I think you know, aligning that overall long-term strategy and being pushed through the CFO is, is a bit of a new wave, right? And, and something that's going to continue to, to evolve and change. So the history to, to finance, not too crazy now, maybe, maybe 20 years ago. 
Yeah, for sure. It, like it's definitely become a, a far more dynamic space. And I think it's a, it's, it's actually, it seems to be a, a job role that is having, I wouldn't quite say an identity crisis, but definitely is going through some kind of evolution right now. And it feels like we're all sort of grasping towards like what, what it could be in this new world. Is that, is that something that, that you feel too? I think so. I think it's becoming a bit more of a catch-all function, right? Of different skill sets are, are starting to come through the ranks within this subset, right? I know when you look at folks that I'm typically looking for in terms of a background, right, of who I, I want to hire, I'm looking for a heavier data background than probably typically seen in the past, right? Folks that are comfortable in Python and SQL and a big new new piece of that finance function, I think, is surfacing product data, right, and usage data for parts of the organization to use that, at the end of the day, it does all boil down to, to revenue impacting decisions, right? Of We spoke briefly a little bit about customer success, right, but how can how can a finance team help a customer success team prioritize, right, based on account health, based on how folks are using your product. I think that need for more more and more data, right? It's, it's like we can never get satisfied in terms of how much of it we have. And especially you think now versus 10 years ago, there's, you know, we're bounds ahead of where we were in terms of data that we can make insights off of. But I don't think that's a space that people will ever be truly satisfied in terms of, of what's at their fingertips. And because I mean, it all boils down to how are consumers using your product? Right. And having those insights, being able to action on those insights is a really big driver of what your organization can do, right? And how you can grow. So long story short, a lot of that making its way to the finance team now and and kind of sitting in that department. Is there a particular metric uh, or data point that you that you find yourself obsessing over quite a bit? Is it something that you really, really kind of you find yourself looking at pretty much every day? Is the one that jumps to mind? So I think and there's a couple different ones in terms of overall organization revenue per employee is a big one, right? It, with that revenue operations background, essentially asking yourself the question of how effective is your tech stack in terms of allowing you to scale, right? I, I love to, and I would pose this question to other CFOs, if you were to triple your customer count overnight, where would the most work sit? today? Is it in your billing process? Is it in your customer success support process, right? How can you, how can you leverage different tools today that, that can impact that? I think a really interesting evolution recently, hot topic chat GPT of can support, you know, and kind of day-to-day questions eventually live in some form of an AI space like that today. And then I know some companies do that already, but I don't think it's ever been available to the masses as it is now, right? So from an overall company standpoint, that one's super important. Other specific teams, right? When you think of customer success, it's it's what is your health score of your your folks today, right? If we've We've made pretty decent strides over the past 12 months to have a clearly defined health score, right, for our customers based on how they're using our product, right, of, of throw away kind of the old mindset of, of prioritizing things chronologically and start to look towards, you know, where do I actually need to be spending time that's going to be most effective with my folks, Um and and there's a couple of traditional ones as well. Net revenue retention, right? Have you created upsell paths for your customers 
And, and that plays into your pricing as well, right? Of, of do you have a set defined path of how an organization grows with your product today? So we offer a platform today, right? And the, the beautiful part of a platform is there's not just one use case that fits to it, right? So we try to grab a company and an organization's workflow, configure that into our product, our platform, and provide that transparency and visibility, right? And if we can take a school, for example, if we can do it for laptop distribution to students, why can't we also do it for their fleet management, right? And so it's it's those upsell paths that lead to that, that net revenue retention. And then, you know, for, from a sales standpoint, it's are my reps being effective, right? Or are we are we having the most quality at bats that we can, right? And there's a plethora of metrics that play from website conversion all the way to your win rate that, that can fit into those. And then again, acquisition cost, right? Is your tech stack helping drive that down? As you increase your brand awareness, is that going down as well, right? Are you having to spend less, less digital advertisement money and, and, and various things of that nature? So yeah, you got to love the KPIs. You got to fall in love with them. You got to make them accessible and you got to help drive your organization based on those KPIs. So a bit of a long answer, but the data piece is my jam, right? I could have a, an hour and a half conversation just on that topic alone. There's an interesting kind of challenge for you, especially as a, as a finance leader and as a CRO that is um, very data literate, is that the rest of the organization might not be at your level. Uh, and, and I suppose you are an evangelist for for these KPIs. How is that a challenge that you face? Is that something that you are very proactively trying to um, share with other people in the organization and make sure that they're also abreast of it? So it's not just kind of like you as the all-seeing all eye and everyone else is kind of um, operating in the dark. Yeah, so transparency and visibility is key, right? Of as the person in my position, you're not driving all of the success factors behind those metrics, right? There, there's folks that are boots on the ground, as I like to say, that have to have a key understanding of, okay, here's what I've been tasked to do. How does this play into an overall plan for us, right? And, and so creating that transparency across the organization has been super key. We use the OKR process today within our, our organization which is a, an initiative framing, goal setting framework, right? That rolls out to the individual level. But I, I also think a really good quality for a CFO, CRO is, is can you take a complexity and can you make it digestible, right? That is always the million dollar question of, of okay, we have this set, this data set, this pre-existing analytic set, right? Of historical information. How do I put this into an action item and how do I deliver it so anyone can understand it, right, to benefit from? And I think that that piece of it, the making complexities digestible, plays really well in that public space, given how extensive the, the chain of command can be in terms of how many people have to say yes before you can do a project. Whereas the private space, you know, you have a, you have a good idea. You can have a quick huddle up, quick meeting about it. Do you have funds? Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Let's do it. Public space, you you have to get buy-off from so many different stakeholders, right? Or buy-in, excuse me. And and you have to learn how to navigate, you know, what what makes that person tick, right? Am I working with a project management group? What do they care about? Am 
I presenting this to, you know, a, another CFO within the organization? What do they care about and what is the language they speak? But at the end of the day, it's, it's can you make this resonate with me? And can you make me feel like I can see the need of doing this? Right. So, um, and also we're, we're a fortunate organization where we have a lot of data minded individuals today. So it, it, it helps for sure. Speaking from like a data and uh, analytics perspective, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Asipenda is, is like a sector agnostic solution, right? Does that present or pose any challenges for you? It does. There's a couple benefits and there's a couple drawbacks from it, right? We are industry agnostic. Being a SaaS platform that does asset lifecycle management and workflow management, it's you know, it's it's almost impossible to answer the question, what's an asset to someone? Who are we to tell an organization what they should care about tracking, right? Essentially, because we, we track everything in our, our software from exotic chickens, right? Which is a wild kind of far side of the spectrum piece of it to super expensive solar equipment, right? That's getting deployed. So it's, the beauty of it is the the market space is, is, massive right of given what does an organization consider important what's their workflow look like today and can we mold that into our software but the drawback to it is are you spread too thin and are you focused in too many areas right it's kind of that horizontal versus vertical approach we do play better in some spaces right and and we've made bets in those spaces this year right but it's also um it's a delicate balance right do you be too horizontal and not capture enough market share in individual spaces? Or do you do you kind of hone in on where you're successful at today, right? Try to grab a large percentage there. And so I think, you know, a couple of things with that is, is can your inbound funnel generate all sorts of different types of leads, right? And then from your targeted efforts, right? Can you maybe be a little more vertical specific with those targeted efforts? So trying to blend the best of, of both worlds. You used an interesting phrase there, taking a bet. That is um, an interesting challenge or, or facet in being a CFO and a, I suppose also a CRO. Um, at some point in the business, you have to take a bit of a bit of a punt or um, you know use human intuition a little bit, take a risk. What is what is your approach to that? What is your risk appetite like? What is Acid Panda's risk appetite like? And how do you manage that when you know is the right time to to take a risk yeah that's a man if you know the answer to that please let me know i'm all ears i think that's always a, a tough tough question to determine i think you know it, there's a difference in taking a off-the-cuff risk and a, a difference in you know placing a, a a bit of an educated gamble if you will right with better better odds and and so if you want to put it in gambling terms right there's odds on everything of likelihood of success happening I think taking those those million to one odds, obviously a bit more risky, right? You want to be a little averse to those items, but based on what you know today within your organization, can you you know can you make some educated assumptions that are a bit of a gamble but a high probability of success, right? And I think having more of those, obviously, way more important than the one offs of like, yeah, you know, maybe we can try this a little bit of an idea, let's test it. I think haste of pivot is super important within those, right? Boils back down to that data collection piece of 
how long is too long for a project to kind of run its course, right? You have the opportunity to act much quicker based on leading indicators and than you could have. It's not all about waiting until seeing the win rate anymore, waiting until seeing total revenue, right? And kind of grab some of that upfront data and make some pretty educated guesses and pivot quickly. Given that, you know, we are a private company, cash management and the management of that piece of the side of the business is super important, right? So we always have to weigh that into our decision-making process of, is this truly an area we feel is a safe place to uh, to pursue something? And timing as well, right? Of don't, don't be too early to something and miss it because of that. I always love the phrase of don't try to do too much at one time, or another way to put it, don't try to boil the ocean overnight, right? If you do, you know, you take on too many of those heavy projects in a year and the likelihood of, of succeeding is much lower, right? So it's all about being selective and calculated. But if you would allow me, I, I, I could probably turn that phrase on you because, I mean, so you have two roles. Is there a risk that Justin Lackey is, is trying to boil the ocean? Is that something that you worry about, that you are spread too thin sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. I think it would be tough to find someone who doesn't feel that way in a, a high growth setting right now. Probably bit of the majority in that at this time. And that that plays a good question too of when you think of scaling an organization, what are those positions that you're already in the back of your mind trying to plan for? Are there folks within existing functions today that you see stepping into that role? Can they be groomed and, and planned for that? Because at one point, you get too big to do everything, right? And it's your days probably look a little more consistent than they do right now for me. My days can be wildly different based on the priority. And so it does. I mean, it, but the flip side of that is when you have a lot going on, you kind of force yourself into a prioritization mode, right? Of what can I delay versus what needs to get done now? There's pros and cons with it. Right. And obviously it can lead to gray hair a little bit earlier, but the experience and the perspective that you gain doing it too is, is unmatched. Have you ever heard of this term, like what they call like a black swan event? Is that a, a phrase you're familiar with? Give me an example, if you can. It's essentially like uh, the pandemic was a was a black swan event. So that's it's something that's really kind of just just fell onto our really laps. Really was some, Wasn't something that we were. Yeah. Yeah, like a very disruptive event. That is something that almost exists out of outside of data. I mean, the, the odds were there that a pandemic was going to happen at some point, but I guess this is a very long winded way for me to introduce and, and to ask the inevitable: How was your global pandemic? How 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 Man. was that for you? How how did that go? Is it over, right? It's always the, the question, too. Talk about just a reshaping event. I was working, without giving too much detail, I was working with a client at the time that was in the events SaaS registration space. Just a private company that had been sold to a public company, right? Post-transaction, gaining momentum, creating those synergies, all that fun stuff. I remember it, it almost like a doomsday clip. I was sitting in a conference room giving a presentation and our CEO walks in and all of a sudden he says, hey, pack it up. We're going to go home, right? This is a two-week exercise. We plan to be back in the office two weeks from now. The thought of working from home, too, was such a foreign concept, right? I was a in-the-office-every-day type of person in that routine, right, at the YMCA, working out in the morning in the office, 
you're kind of there all day, right? Into a good part of the night, then you go home. So you're really not spending a ton of time at home. But again, like a doomsday scenario of that office setting of, hey, we're going to pack it up for two weeks. You're going to get some instructions on how to work home. And then two weeks turns into, you know, still now working from home, right? And really reshaping what a traditional office looks like. And companies that have adapted to that piece, I think, have been able to retain and acquire very high talent, right? That's a big piece of it today is flexibility and, and work setting. We're a fully remote company today at Asset Panda. So it provides unique challenges, right? I, I still do try to hire local when I can because I want to go get a cup of coffee. I want to grab a beer after work with my folks, right? And create that personal connection. But back to the the story of the company that was staffed on during that pandemic is they were a completely transactional business model, right? So meaning when folks register for events, they're making revenue. So there was never a scenario painted of what happens if all of these events get shut down and nothing can be hosted. So one of the challenges that I'm, I'm super thankful during that time was taking that business from a transactional model to a subscription model, right? And, and trying to pivot quickly during that phase to where we could still create some sort of revenue within that organization. But the flip side of the pandemic for me is I it allowed me to kind of rethink my priorities and what is important to me, right? I, I spend more time with my wife today than I ever have, right? And work is work is what you do. It's not who you are. Even the commute time, right? Two hours of commute time I've got back in my day. I can I can invest that into my personal life and you know help reshape things from there. Also the pandemic really shined light on how important it is to have a doomsday plan, right? Of when you're scenario modeling things, it's, you got to have a, there's a new floor, right? If you will, of what you previously thought could be a floor and to have, you know, have plans for those. Are you built to scale? Are you, it'll make you rethink too, what type of industry do you want to be in? Right. I think a, a big part of asset Panda that's appealing to me is when the spending gets tight, And folks are a little nervous, given, you know, even the economic situation today, right? A little bit of uncertainty within it here in the States. What do companies look for, right? They look for savings. They look for for software that can help um, create efficiencies and effectiveness and transparency within an organization, right? So a bit of it, you know, kind of coined the term what's pandemic proof right now, right? And, and, And what do you still feel safe about? So I don't know how it is across the pond. Right. But we're still dealing with lingering impacts here today. We have global customers as well. Right. So some of our customers still feeling it very, very heavy. Right. Whereas in the States, it's kind of handled on a state by state basis right now. So some states stricter regulations than others. But certain countries are still, you know, having a bit of a reality shock. Right. Uh, Well into what are we coming up on four years now, maybe five years. Um, very, very unpredictable, right? And just really makes you rethink everything you pre-existing thought you thought you knew about the business landscape. So did you join Asset Panda during the pandemic? So not during the heavy piece of it. I joined, and when I say heavy piece, heavy regulated piece of it, right? Of where limitations at restaurants, things like that, right? So I, I was fortunate enough to help 
you know, navigate some of those waters with, with where I was at previously and then joined Asset Panda, I think April of 2021. I've been here almost two years now, which has been the fastest two years of my life by far, both the most challenging years and the most rewarding years as well. I, I really believe that our solution, uh, it's a bit of a, you know, a bit of a mix between a CRM and an ERP. But really, I, I like to think about it as the Advil for asset lifecycle management, right? We get to help folks with real world problems, and hopefully they get to sleep a little bit easier because of it. So I was post, right? They had just come off of their COVID year. And so we were kind of resetting expectations. It's very easy to show year over year growth post that, right? So how do you, how do you truly benchmark things? And how do you tr- truly evaluate where you're headed? Yeah, it's a it's also a unique challenge, I suppose, as someone you you know, someone who manages people and has people reporting into him. How do you keep people motivated when they're working remotely? You know, because I I work remotely largely, um, and I suppose there is always an element where you can feel a little bit adrift and like alone. You know, I live here, I work here, just a little bit like cabin fever, I guess. How do you get past that? Yeah, that's tough, man. My my house is my office, right? The flip, I know I said I spend more time with my wife now than ever, right? The flip side of that is we're surrounded by each other all day, right? <laughs> and that that's great. Sure, it has its perks, but it also, and you can really start to get nitpicky with things that you you don't like if you're around someone twenty four seven, right? And so. Keeping people motivated, there's a couple different ways to do that. One, I love to give autonomy to my folks on path to a result, right? I I love to helping set a target, right? But let folks surprise you to an extent of of what they feel is the best best path to get there. I think it, it creates a little bit of that, you know, sandbox of freedom for them within their role, which is super important, especially for a younger crowd today. You have the the opportunity to reshape how things have been done historically. You know, I always challenge my folks to ask, is this really the best way to do this? And why do I feel this is the best way to do this? Is it because someone told me? Or is it because I really believe this is the best way to do this? And so you have to give a little level, some level of that autonomy, right, to those folks. And also, they want to be challenged, right? Like no one, that's a sign of a good employee is if they're saying, hey, you know, this what I've previously been doing, it's not giving me that challenged edge anymore, right? Give me something new. Give me something exciting. Beautiful part of a finance function, you have the opportunity to create your own work as well, right? We're a growing organization. There is problems to be solved everywhere. You want to go spend a little time with the product team, helping them go spend some time with the product team. You want to focus on marketing, go help the marketing team, right? It's a, Your days don't have to look the same essentially and then also the rewarding part of working from home is dude get your work done and go do whatever i don't care you want to take your dog on a walk you want to go hit some golf balls you want to you know it gives you an opportunity to revisit what a lunch break looks like i remember early in my career the lunch break was i'm going to go grab a sandwich out of the fridge i'm going to sit at my desk and i'm going to make sure my boss can see me eating lunch and working at the same time right because that's what we think productive is Find the mix between efficient and effective as well. Just because you're efficient doesn't mean you're good at what you're doing. But if you're working on the right things, you're delivering them timely. I'm giving you good feedback. I can see that your work's getting elevated as you go. You want to take your dog on a walk? By all means, go take your dog on a walk, right? So that 
little bit of that freedom, that autonomy, I think goes a long way for folks. Yeah, it's it's interesting because do you think that that approach stems at all from the sort of like data mindset that you have where, you know, you look at outputs, you're looking at, like you say, what people are producing. Like I can see that what you're doing is having an effect. Ultimately, I don't really don't care how about how you get there. But you I mean, like you're a little bit more, I guess, agnostic about that. Yeah, I think so. And I, I like to look at everything as a revenue generating role, right? Of what are you doing to impact revenue, whether it's a tweak you're making in our sales process, our marketing process, insights you're helping give them, there's a direct downstream impact on revenue for that. Become obsessed with that revenue side of the business, I think is important for any young analyst, any aspiring CFO. Expense management super important. Yes, absolutely agree with you. But you don't grow a company through expense management as well, right? You got to find a way to pour fire, pour gas on the fire that's burning hottest, right? And so it, it does, you know, I think looking at outputs, looking at results, you're always going to have a little more leeway with someone who's who's doing very quality work. And just creating that transparency, right? I, I love to say that I have a, a virtual open office, which they probably think I'm a bit of a Looney Tune saying that they're like, oh, okay, virtual open office. But the old days of walking to my office door, knocking on it, coming in, I try to have that same inviting presence with folks today. And I also encourage them to put personal time blocks on their calendar, right? And prioritize their own time. If, if you don't care about your personal life, why should I care about your personal life? Right. And, and keep those appointments with yourself. Is mental, is mental health and fitness super important to you? I want you to prioritize those because it's going to show up in your work results, right? And it's going to create a better product for us. So it's trying to navigate, and I probably feel a bit like a psychologist saying this out loud, but it's, you know, it's navigating that space and finding what works for them, right? Because it's all unique to the individual. You touched on a really fascinating idea then, and it's one that I'm really interested in, given the economic environment that we are in at present. There is a siege mentality that can take hold, uh, and I see it in different companies um, where the leadership clam up and they essentially kind of condemn the business to standing still, which, you know, in many respects is going backwards. I would say it's probably synonymous with going backwards. Do you think that that's a risk? Uh, you you talked about pouring gasoline on the the fire that's burning the brightest. Like, is that something that you focus on to make sure that the business is always moving? Yeah, the, I think the opportunity loss risk, right, within that kind of stalemate standpoint, is think of how fast businesses evolve today, right? And you can miss the mark by a matter of weeks today, right? It's not. You're a little pressed for deadlines more than than you have been historically, right? Given how quick companies can move with agile development and, and various things like that. So I think there's always risk at a standstill, right? Your competitors are gonna some of your competitors are gonna be evolving during that time, right? And and we play in a space with a lot of competitors, right? So in our organization, it's great because we can't necessarily afford to experience that standstill just due to the opportunity loss that could occur, right? And so it is a tricky way to navigate it when you get into uncertain times, right? But luckily for our specific space we play in, we haven't seen a, a significant drawback. Consumers are more price conscious today, definitely than they were, you know, nine to 12 months ago, I would say. 
And so you have to get a little bit creative with your pricing, right? More of a deal desk approach, um, not having a one shoe fits all, right? Especially that's the other challenge of an industry agnostic solution. And to tell them, you know, what, what's an asset, right? How do I, I don't want to charge the same way for a fleet as I do for a, a system of laptops, right? So you have to, it's not necessarily a one shoe fits all pricing model for our organization. And part of that, you know, you can help remove some of that risk that you might foresee. So the cost of standing still to me is the is greater than the cost of trying to propel the business forward and move forward to a long-term play. Where does pricing rest? Does the pricing rest with you at Asapanda? It does. So we, we have oversight of our pricing. Our pricing is influenced by our folks that are boots on the ground. Though our marketing team doing research based on receptiveness, our sales folks having conversations, right, based on that feedback we're getting. And then, you know, collaborating with those teams to, to find a, a model that fits, right? So it's the deal desk, you know, the custom-based pricing, value-based pricing that sits within us today. But there's a bunch of teams that play a key role in that product. Are you modularizing the product, right? Do you have upsell paths within that what is marketing hearing from a research standpoint? What are some of our competitors doing in the space? Um, and so it's never a, a one-man task. It's all as much input as you can get from teams that have that unique perspective to, to come up with something that makes sense. Mm. So Justin, we're, uh, we're reaching the end of our, of our chat here. There's always this one thing I like to, like to ask um, at the end, which is around one key change that you've made uh, in your role at Asset Panda. So is there anything that really stands out for you that you did or implemented or a piece of technology that you brought in that you immediately afterwards was like, oh, I don't know why I didn't do that earlier. This has made my life or my job much easier or it's improved the company's fortunes quite a lot. Is there anything like that that jumps out? Yeah, there's a there's a fun one and there's a serious one. The fun one is, is no meeting Fridays. Um, there's obviously certain parts of the organization that have to have meetings on Fridays. We can't just have our support staff not do meetings on Friday, right, to, to assist with customers. But really trying to encourage time blocking on that day to set yourself up for success next week, right? A little bit of that 90-minute pre-planning eases the anxiety as you head into next week. You really have an understanding of what you're trying to work on and really encouraging folks to automate their reactive task during that time right so there's a there's a famous you know kind of mindset model that talks about the different zones that people can find themselves in and there's a reactive zone and a proactive zone right along with a waste and a distraction zone things like that but we spend a lot of time in that reactive zone today right but we're not necessarily using time in the proactive zone that can lead to efficiencies within that reactive zone, right? What am I doing day to day that really could be automated that's taking up a lot of my time? And how do I invest that time back into my personal life, right? So that, that's, that's kind of the fun one. One of the exciting things from a business standpoint we've done is given that we are a workflow platform, right? We are very iterative with our price testing, right? Given the amount of spaces that we play in. So Prior to my starting at Asset Panda, we didn't have a deal desk function, right? That's trying to capture, um, you know, who are those customers, prospects that are getting that really high perceived value, right? A, a little more 
than our traditional pricing model would would suppose, right? And so creating higher ACVs with that, um, you know, creating that kind of enterprise segment within the company, super important. And then data visibility, right? Our folks prior to me starting were prior, and this is not just me, I can't just take credit for this, but um, prior to me starting, we prioritized everything chronologically, not necessarily on a, you know, a health score basis or a, a different kind of prioritization matrix. And so a big piece of that's just surfacing useful, insightful data to folks, whether it's our SDR team, our sales reps, marketing folks, right? It, it's it's used throughout the organization. So I would say those are those are two pretty big wins. And then obviously the no meeting Fridays, people love that, right? No, no telling if they're actually you know, automating those reactive tasks during that time, but they, they seem to enjoy it. And it, it gives them a little bit of a breather before heading into the weekend as well. For sure. I think we could all sometimes use a little bit of a breather. Uh, Justin, this has been a really fascinating and rewarding chat. Thank you very much for your time. I will keep a close eye on Asset Panda. I, it sounds like you guys are um, at the the forefront of some exciting things on the on the finance side. So yeah, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This show is brought to you by Soldo, the brighter way to manage business spending and expenses. With Soldo, you can control every expense, track spend in real time, automate financial reporting, and then use those insights to fuel your growth. Learn more at soldo.com.